0: Welcome to the Delish Guestless Podcast, a deep dive into the lives and work of Hong Kong's crazy food and beverage industry leaders, hosted by The Beat Asia. Today, we invited Susan Zhang, Hong Kong's leading food and drinks critic for more than 25 years, author of her first book, Kung Pao and Beyond, fried chicken recipes from East and Southeast Asia, a catalogue of Susan's favourite salty snack. Beyond her latest words spreading the good world of chicken in Asia, Susan writes about food for Vogue Hong Kong and is the Academy Chair for the Hong Kong, Taiwan and Macau region of the world's 50 best restaurants and Asia's 50 best restaurants rankings. Listen to her story only on the Delish Guest List. We profiled you in August mm-hmm. and we interviewed and spoke about, well, a public profile of your entire history being in Hong Kong in the connection with SCMP, South China Morning Post, critiquing food and drink in Hong Kong, and then going on to your next move. And we sort of teased what we're going to talk about mainly and in public for the next half an hour, 45 minutes. But for those who don't know you and don't know who Susan Jung is, who are you?
1: I am Susan Jung. I am the author of a just-released book called Gong Bao and Beyond. And it's all about fried chicken from East and Southeast Asia. And before that, um, I was food and wine editor for the South China Morning Post uh, for almost twenty-five years, and I quit to write the book.
0: You joined just as the handover sort of was coming into Hong Kong, and Hong Kong's food scene was definitely not at the stage that it was right now. You spoke about it in your previous coverage with the Beat Asia. Hong Kong has always been enthralled with trends. Why did you feel so, I want, I don't want to say stuck, but so fixated on critiquing food and wine and drinks and beverages for 25 years?
1: Well, um, food reviewing was a small part of the, my work at the SCMP. Um, I think I was most famous for writing my recipe column. Um, I think food criticism in Hong Kong um there was me and there were a few other publications that actually looked at it as anonymously as possible although towards the end for me it was difficult to be anonymous um but where we actually you know went in there paid for the meals well and of course expensed it and um where we didn't you know say it wasn't a tasting like it was for some of the food criticism here um the, a lot of times other, with other publications, they would um, be invited to a tasting and then they would write it up as, you know, I went to this restaurant and this is what we ate. It was basically what we ate rather than any kind of criticism or mm. compliments. Um, so the SCMP and a few other publications did write it where we actually paid for the meals and wrote it up critically.
0: Do you think food not only in Hong Kong, but in general, can't exist without critique?
1: I think if you just constantly praise without balancing it, it's not going to improve the chef, the restaurant, or the food scene in that whatever country or city you're, you happen to be in. I think criticism is important, but it should be a, a kind criticism. There were restaurants that I decided not to review after I'd eaten there because There was nothing positive to say. And I didn't want to totally tear down the restaurant. I always did try to find something positive. Because just to say, oh, everything was bad. I just wouldn't write that up. There was no point. Interesting. Although, you know, um, a, a lot of people said, well, you actually should write negatively. But there's so many great restaurants out there. So why would I want to review a negative restaurant where I can only say bad things about it? I'd rather... Um, write about
0: something that's good. Did you like the anonymity?
1: Um, I did, because when I realized that people were starting to recognize me, um, it was, I mean, I I would always write into the review, I'd say I was recognized, and they sent out all these extra dishes. um, Because you actually want to try to have an experience that any normal guest is going to have. So when they recognize you, I'm sure that they're taking care of the food, you know, making sure it's perfect when it goes out. Um, The service is going to be better. So I was trying to get what any guest at the restaurant would have, that kind of experience. But I I know that I was getting a better experience.
0: So when you were famously outed by your former publication and then also in our Profile on the Beat Asia publication, you showed your face. You then said... I'm working on this fantastic project, creating the cookbook. What was going through your mind when you wanted to now be public and also put your words public and attach your name to it?
1: Well, when I posted um, on Instagram, hey world, this is me, (laughs) and I had my photo on it, that was the first time I have published my own photo.
0: Wow. In?
1: I think it is. I mean, I I can't remember. Yeah. I... I I can't remember that I would have published my photo. I I used to get irritated with my friends. I'd say no photos, no photos. Please don't publish photos of me. People would if mm-hmm. they didn't know me, you, you know. They'd you know, and and I didn't. I felt really worried about saying take it down, please. Yeah. So I didn't. But um, it was the first time that I can recall that I published my own photo. Um, and I it was actually really nice to not have to try to be anonymous anymore. So that's why I published it. That's why I, I said this is me. Um, I've just, you know, I'm. I quit the SCP. Finally, mm. I no longer have to be anonymous. Mm. And so, hey, world, this is me.
0: I mean, 25 years is a long time mm. to do anything, let alone work. But to do the same passion and continue that career, were you almost tired about being anonymous and wanting to switch over to the other side and not critique, but to show a love for something?
1: Well. It is awfully nice to not have to be constantly thinking about, you know, when I'm eating at a restaurant, when I was doing a review, I'd constantly be thinking I'd be, I would be eating, but I'd also be looking around at the rest of the restaurant and trying to see what the experience that other people were having. Um, And so when I finally got to just eat at a restaurant and just enjoy it, it's really nice. I much prefer this.
0: So... I'm sure in the latter stages of your SCMP career, your food critique career, you had the idea of writing a cookbook. Why a cookbook about fried chicken, first of all? Because it's it's a, an out there topic.
1: But doesn't everybody like fried chicken? Well, there you go. I know. I love fried chicken. And it's a very popular dish. What's great about chicken is that it's a protein, a meat that people can eat no matter what their religion is. Unless you're a vegetarian and that, which isn't a religion, all of people treat it as a religion. Um, you can eat it in Muslim cultures, Jewish cultures, you know, all kinds of cultures. Absolutely. I don't know of any culture. There might, there might be some culture out there that doesn't eat chicken. Um, but in most religions that I know, they can eat chicken, which is why when you get on a plane, you're asked by the air hostess chicken or fish, because <laughs> chicken is, is safe. Um, it's also relatively inexpensive. And fried chicken is just delicious. Mm. People like fried foods. They might not cook it because they think it splatters all over the place. They think that it's messy, although it isn't necessarily messy. Um, but fried chicken is just something that people love. Yeah, there are so many fried chicken shops. There's so many fried chicken, not just KFC, but also Jollibee, which I love. Jollibee is my favorite. Um, but there's also Um, McDonald's wings you know there's so many different fried chicken shops out there and a lot of them are um, specific to a a certain country when Mm. I was in Iran I saw one that looked it looked exactly like the KFC the colonel with a colonel but I can't remember what it was called it was different letters and it, it was not KFC but at first glance you'd think that it was KFC
0: so to pardon the pun and this is going to be terrible for our listeners oh no but was it the chicken or the egg? <laughs> I, d- I just thought about that one. Was it the chicken being, I want to write a cookbook, I want to change my career in F&B, or was it, I love fried chicken and I've had this love affair with fried chicken since I can remember. What do I want to do with fried chicken that it's going to get popularized fried chicken in in this medium?
1: Well, I always used to write for my recipe column, um, I I wrote a lot of fried chicken recipes, and I actually had to stop myself from writing so many more <laughs> fried chicken recipes because I thought I don't want to bore people. I don't want I don't want to be too mm. um, focused just on one subject. But then one of my colleagues said, "Susan, your fried chicken recipes do really well online. Why don't you write a fried chicken book?" And he was joking, and I thought about that for a while. And I was thinking, "What a great idea!" And so. Um, I pitched it, but I pitched it as Asian fried chicken. And in England or in the UK, Asians are uh, – India and the subcontinent yes. Asians. Whereas, we, you know, in Hong Kong and Southeast Asia, it's it's East and Southeast Asians, it tends to be. Plus, there's Central Asia, you know. There's all other areas of, of Asia that I couldn't cover because – it the subject would have been too broad. Mm. So I focused it on East and Southeast Asia because that's what I know best.
0: Gotcha. And does this does this specificity as well allow you to look at the countries that are near and dear to you? Hong Kong, mm. China, you've got Japan, Korea, mm. Philippines as well.
1: Yeah. There's so much really great fried chicken out there. Whenever, you know, when you go to Singapore, of course you're going to eat shrimp paste wings at a hawker center because it's just delicious. Um, you know, when you go to Thailand, you can eat street food fried chicken. There's so much out there that, that a lot of people do not know about. And so when I first started writing the book, people were saying to me, is there really that many fried chicken dishes, you know? Um, and my brief was to write 60 fried chicken recipes, but wow. I actually started off with 90.
0: How did you get to that 90
1: well, I only started off with ninety because I needed to narrow it down to sixty, um, and so when I started off with a ninety, I, I just jotted down all the recipes that I wanted to try, and then I realized that oh, this doesn't t- actually taste that great, or there's this recipe is too much like that recipe, so I'll just skip it. Sure. Um, so I fairly easily got it down to um, s- from ninety to sixty.
0: So this fairly easy but large number of sixty. 60- exact, different recipes, are these recipes that you knew? Okay, I just can name 60 recipes of chicken, fried chicken off the top of my head.
1: No, I had to think about it for quite okay. a while. It wasn't didn't come off just the top but of my head. But these
0: recipes have been in your travels. They've been in your writing, in the meals that you've been eating with your husband, your friends, your family as well.
1: Well, a lot of them are adapted from other dishes, like sure. um, salted egg, chicken wings, is quite unusual. I mean, I don't think I've ever tried it outside. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it exists. Um, but it's usually salted egg prawns or salted egg something else. So to adapt it to a, a fried chicken recipe actually was very successful.
0: The book is in English. And obviously, these are recipes for an international audience. Mm-hmm. Did you struggle bringing the ideas and the recipes from East and Southeast Asia in these native countries? To an international audience?
1: No, because I think fried chicken, and like I said, it's pretty universal. And so even if it has lemongrass or shrimp paste or salted egg, um, ingredients that not everybody outside this area are familiar with, um, I think the taste of most of the ingredients can be pretty appealing, even if you haven't grown up with it.
0: Yeah. You obviously researched and cooked a lot of fried chicken. How long did that take?
1: It was three months of eating fried chicken at least once a day. Wow. Um, Because sometimes I would make it for lunch and dinner. And um, my poor husband, Nigel, um, he was mostly very patient, except when he was in quarantine. And I think he was in quarantine the last time for a week or maybe longer. Anyway... Um, I'd say, hi, darling, I'm bringing you fried chicken. And he <laughs> said on the last couple of days, I don't want fried chicken. And I said, oh, but you should try this one. It's really good. I don't want fried chicken. And I said, but really, you should try this one. I don't want fried chicken. And then he said, he called me up and he said, just want to make sure you're not bringing me fried chicken.
0: <laughs> what did you bring him?
1: Oh, Something else. <laughs> Poor boy. I guess when you're in quarantine, you really want to eat things that You're craving, and he wasn't craving fried chicken at that
0: point. He doesn't understand your decades long love for fried chicken.
1: He likes fried chicken, um, but I guess not every day. Hey, I'm Natsuki Arita, the editor for the Delish Guestless Podcast, dropping in with a very special message. This episode is brought to you by Italian Week Hong Kong 2023. From May 29th to June 4th, in partnership with the Italian Chamber of Commerce, we're celebrating Italy's finest culinary traditions right here in Hong Kong. Indulge in authentic Italian cuisine at top dining establishments with special events and exclusive offers. So mark your calendars and join us for Italian Week Hong Kong 2023. For more information, visit italianweek.hk. Well, back to Susan.
0: So going back and rewinding to even before your cookbook, what point in your life did you start to have this this liking towards this fried food?
1: Ever since I was young, I mean, the first recipe in my book is my mom's fried chicken. Wow. And um, something that she made for us, you know, every once in a while, we just loved it, me and my brothers, so... Whenever she'd say, What do you want for dinner? We'd say, You know, your, your fried chicken. And it didn't have a name, it was just fried chicken. So I gave that recipe, and it's it's very easy. A lot of my recipes call for double frying. So the first frying cooks the chicken, and the second, you know, and it's cooked, done at a lo- slightly lower temperature. The second frying, which can be done right before you serve it, so all the other work can be done in advance. The second frying, um, is at a higher temperature and it crisps up the exterior. So the skin is is crunchy. Um, But with her recipe, um, it's fried once and then you bake it. So it's kind of unusual. I don't know where she got the recipe from. I've asked her and she doesn't remember where.
0: Is that important to double fry, to double prepare chicken in this way? Is that the signature to your cookbook?
1: No, it's done in a lot of recipes. Um, A lot of people think that the technique came about through Korean fried chicken, which Mm. I actually, I call KFC, um, but it's actually the other KFC and it's the better KFC. (laughs) Um, They attribute it to Korean fried chicken. Um, Korean fried chicken is double fried, but the technique came before KFC. Um, It's just that Korean fried chicken made
0: it famous. Mm. Coming from a a background of Toy Sunny's ancestry Mm -hmm. from southern China, growing up on the West Coast, California in America, then migrating to Hong Kong more than 25 plus years ago. Do you think you have this unique perspective of this Western and Eastern influence that you're bringing towards this cookbook?
1: Well, I think a lot of the stuff that I grew up with, you know, when when you're a kid growing up as a um, racial minority in in a country, you tend to think that whatever you're growing up with is common to other people as well. So there's things that I ate when I was a kid that I didn't realize that, that it was anything unusual, um, like turkey with rice. Hmm. What we, Whenever we had Thanksgiving turkey, we had it with white rice. We also had it with stuffing and, you know, a lot of the other, you know, are considered traditional accompaniments. But I never realized that serving turkey with white rice was unusual until I made my own turkey dinner for friends. And they were saying, what's on the menu? And I said, oh, turkey stuffing rice. (laughs) And they said, you know, what kind of rice? Pilaf? And I said, no, rice, white rice. And it wasn't until then that I realized that, that not everybody eats turkey with white rice. Same thing with fried chicken. My grandmother had a repertoire of about five non-Chinese dishes. One of them was fried chicken, and she served it with spaghetti. Oh, no. (laughs) So until I moved out of the house, I didn't realize that not everybody serves fried chicken with spaghetti.
0: Apart from Jollibee.
1: Yes, apart from Jollibee.
0: And is that why you like Jollibee?
1: No, I don't really like Jollibee's spaghetti. I think it's too sweet. Yeah. But I do love their fried chicken and I love their, their mango peach pie.
0: Oh, I had that when I went to Manila mm. late last year. It is superb.
1: It's so good, right? Yeah. They have it here. My only complaint about it is that it's too small. It's teeny.
0: I'm going to have to find it.
1: it. They have it at other Jollibee's here. Oh, wow. So
0: okay, I, And I, I
1: buy it, but I have to buy two. <laughs> One is not enough.
0: So going back to that cookbook. It's almost as if fried chicken is a medium to tell the stories of Eastern and Southeast Asian uh, cooking, essentially, to Western audiences.
1: Well, it's one representation of a lot of cuisines. You know, there's so – so many cuisines are so broad. It used to be that people thought of Chinese food as one cuisine, but it's not. There's so many regional variations – and they're all different. It's impossible to actually say, how can you say that Cantonese food is like Sichuan food? They're entirely different. So, same thing with so many other different cuisines. Like in the book is a recipe for um, Thai street food fried chicken. And I served it to some friends. One of my Thai friends, who's from Bangkok, said, this doesn't taste Thai. And then another friend, who's from Northern Tha- Thailand, said, it's a very Northern Thai. Wow. So, my Bangkok friend knows a lot about food, but she had never tasted this version, so, and she she can't say that it's wrong because my northern Thai friend said yes, it it's actually tastes very very authentic. Um, So, you know, there's just so much about food that the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know.
0: Mm. How many regions, countries, cities even are you focusing on in the book? I don't know. You don't know. No. A because,
1: lot. well, the thing is, like, um, there's also a recipe for Vietnamese butter chicken wings. Wow, I have never eaten but Vietnamese butter chicken wings in Vietnam. I don't know if it exists as a real dish in in Vietnam.
0: Because I see it quite a lot in Vietnamese restaurants in Hong
1: Kong. Yeah, outside of Vietnam, you get it. So I don't know if it's actually a real Vietnamese dish, or if actually, you know, the Vietnamese immigrants to whatever country created the dish as something that. Their new countrymen would would like it's it's very appealing and it can be so delicious, um, but I don't know if it's if it's really Vietnamese.
0: So going back to those three months where you just ate and did some more eating of fried chicken, did you surprise yourself about how in depth you could go with chicken recipes and what you discovered about these recipes and these cuisines in Asia?
1: Well, I realize now that I could have included so many more wow. recipes. I'm thinking, why didn't I include Japanese convenience store fried chicken? You know, Famichiki is so delicious, you know, from Family Mart. And um, when I was in, in Japan in February, there were other fried chicken recipes that I should have included. And I, I think there needs to be a Gongbao and Beyond part two.
0: Do you think you would? No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> My husband would probably get really irritated.
0: What do you hope for people to gain from using this as a cookbook?
1: Well, I hope they, they realize that making fried chicken is not nearly as messy as you think it is. I mean, that people say, oh, I never fry. You know, mm. I, I, can I bake these recipes? And I said, well, you can try, but it's not going to be nearly as good because baking or even, you know, cooking it at a, at a high heat in the oven isn't going to give you that nice crisp skin. So when you fry, um, everybody says it's messy, it splatters all over the place. But if you do it correctly, um, it doesn't because one of the reasons chicken spatters or any ingredient spatters in, in, the, in the hot oil is that because of moisture. But if you coat it correctly, which is meaning coating it thoroughly, um, it's not going to spatter as
0: much. Moving on to our rapid fire question, Susan. Oh, no. I know. It's scary. You have less than 30 seconds to come up with a few words to answer each question. If you fail to come up with an answer within five seconds, we'll be lenient. We'll move on to the next one. Are you ready? No. (laughs) Wings, breast, or thigh? Wings. What was your favorite destination to travel to? Japan. Can you tell us about a time you experimented with a recipe that didn't go well?
1: Oh, it happens all the time and it's so frustrating. I get really grumpy.
0: Really? Yeah. Can it ruin your day?
1: It... I... I serve the food, and I I get really grumpy, and Nigel says, what's wrong? And I said, it doesn't taste good. (laughs) And he said, it's okay, it's edible. And I said, it's still not delicious.
0: What's the most recent fiasco?
1: um, Fortunately, when I was cooking for myself, when I came back from London, and I made a dish that I make all the time, which is uh, Korean jjigae. And I made it in London. I made it here. I've made it many times before, and it just didn't turn out. I don't know why.
0: You've got to fly to Seoul.
1: Yeah, I need, yeah. I am flying to Seoul <laughs> in a couple of weeks. Nice.
0: What is your most favorite restaurant in the world?
1: Oh, impossible. Sorry.
0: Really? Yeah. That's impossible. too big of a question for Susan yeah. Jung.
1: If I had to choose one place, it would be the chairman. The chairman in Hong Kong. Wow. Why? Because so many of the dishes that I eat there bring back memories of what I ate. As a kid, the first time I was served there, steamed fish with um, pork fat and um, preserved um, tangerine peel, I put it in my mouth and I said, This is something my mother used to make. And it was just brought back so many wonderful memories.
0: Wow. What is the biggest lie you have ever told someone? (laughs)
1: I <laughs> don't want to say.
0: <laughs> we can beep this out.
1: Beep? No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you weren't writing a cookbook about fried chicken, what meal or plate or thing would you be researching and talking about?
1: The book I want to write most in the whole wide world is on innards. Why? Because I love innards, and I think that they're really underused.
0: Huh? And what cultures embrace innards?
1: All kinds of cultures. I mean, um, when I was in... Uh, London this time Um, one of the things that I eat often when I'm in Hong Kong is called gokjong it's a Korean dish of beef, small intestines that I you can cook it in other ways but I I tend to cook it in a wok um, with potatoes and chives and it's really delicious and I buy it frozen and um, you know it comes in a 180 gram pack and it's just enough for me for my lunch Um, but in London, I couldn't find it. So, But I live in a Turkish area, and they have lamb intestines. (laughs) And I I said, it looks right. I wonder if it's the same thing. (laughs) So I bought it. I bought it. It came frozen in a kilo pack, which is a lot. Um, And I bought it, and um, they looked very clean. They didn't smell, like, disgusting. Um, So I cooked them. And although they were lambier than, a little bit stronger than beef intestines— It really, you know, fed my craving.
0: Tell me a guilty pleasure of yours that only those in your inner circle would know.
1: I don't feel guilty about any food that I eat. I eat potato chips. I am a total junk food junkie. I love instant noodles, but I
0: don't feel guilty about it. Hence, you're writing a cookbook about fried Fried chicken. chicken.
1: And one of the recipes uses an instant noodle coating. Ah. But I really love instant noodles. And everybody says, but they're so bad for you. And I'm like, I don't eat it every day. I think any food in moderation is, is not bad for you. <laughs> yeah. I love Coke. You know, everybody is surprised about that. They think, you know, when I used to be food editor, you're the food editor and you like Coke. Why don't you like fine wine? And I said, I don't <laughs> dislike fine wine. It's just that there are times when Coke hits the spot.
0: Fair enough. What is your favorite city to dine in? Oh.
1: Can I say all of Japan is a city?
0: We'll take that. We'll take that. Imagine you're on death row. What is your last meal?
1: Everything. Okay, there's these little birds that I love, which are you can't find in Hong Kong anymore. Um, they're, they're called rice birds or yellow flower birds. And they're these teeny weeny little birds that are about the size of, how big is that? Two inches. Yeah. And you get them in the rice paddies of China they descend on the on the ripening rice. So they set up a net with very fine holes on one end of the rice field, and they beat drums or make loud noises on the other. So the birds get startled and uh, fly into the net. And that's how they're captured. Their noses or beaks get caught in the net. And they're the most delicious things. You eat the whole thing except for the beak. Wow. You used to be able to get them very easily in Hong Kong. I'd call up a restaurant Because the season is about two weeks long. And I'd call up restaurants and I'd say, do you have rice birds?" And they'd say, "Um, yes or no. And when they were in season, they'd say, how many dozen do you want? So you'd order them by the dozen. Dozen. Yeah. And on a plate would come 12 dead rice birds, And they're the most delicious things in the whole wide world. I
0: just love them, but you can't get them in Hong Kong anymore. So if you kill someone with kindness, you're getting a dozen dozen rifles. I
1: I want more than that. (laughs) And I want to share it with friends because I've introduced this to so many people. And at first they look at it and say, that looks really disgusting. And it kind of doesn't look very pleasant, but it's really good.
0: What tips would you give to someone just starting out with bonsai care?
1: (laughs) Buy a cheap one because you're probably going to kill it.
0: What's your go-to 15-minute meal to make when you're feeling lazy?
1: Oh, instant noodles.
0: What is one thing that you prefer about writing books versus articles online and in print?
1: What I love about writing books is that the deadline tends to be further away. <laughs> <laughs> so, you feel less rushed, although I was very disciplined with this one and I I I actually um was testing recipes for 3 months and then I started writing the book. Um, And I actually turned it in about a week late, and I felt terribly guilty. And I uh, emailed the the publishers, and I said, I'm so sorry my book is late. A week late. And I said, (laughs) Susan, in publishing terms, that's on time because they give you a deadline, but it's more or less because most people do tend to be
0: late. If you chose to not enter the F&B industry, bake pastries or write about restaurants, what would you have done for a career?
1: I would have been a bonsai artist.
0: And finally, what are you cooking in the coming months that you can share with us on the Delish Guest List podcast?
1: What am I cooking? Hmm. I can't think of any. I, I think through my stomach. So whatever my stomach
0: craves, I cook. Good. Nice. Keep your finger on the pulse and tap follow to keep up with the Beat Asia. To hear more colourful chants and rich stories. This episode is hosted by myself, Ruben Verbes. Big shout out to Susan Jung for coming on the Delish Guest List to share her story. Our producer for this episode is Marcus Tremer. And we are edited by Natsuki Arita. That's all for this episode. See you in the next one.